What's happening in the world right now? Coming up on NTD News. First, we bring you our top stories. Hunter Biden is going to plead guilty to federal charges of tax evasion. He's also admitting to a gun crime. Find out how he's resolving that charge. Rescuers are searching for a tourist submarine that was scheduled to explore the wreckage from the Titanic. Five people are believed to be on board. Presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy is fired up about being censored by YouTube. The company cited vaccination misinformation for justifying pulling down his interview with Jordan Peterson. Germany's largest newspaper is set to replace editors with artificial intelligence. The move sparked criticism from the German Journalists Association. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Our top news is on President Joe Biden's son, Hunter, who is expected to plead guilty to two federal tax offenses and has struck a deal with federal prosecutors regarding a felony gun charge. That's what the Justice Department said Tuesday in court filings. Let's go to NTD's legal correspondent, Arlene Richards, for the latest information. Arlene, do you have any more details about the federal tax offenses? Yes, Kevin. Uh, According to a letter filed by the DOJ today, Hunter was charged with two counts of willful failure to pay federal taxes, which is a misdemeanor. Now, this happened in 2017 and 2018 when he allegedly made in excess of $1.5 million and failed to pay in excess of $100,000 in each year, 2017 and 2018. Now, he is expected to have a plea agreement about the taxes that will be submitted to the court. He's not expected to do any jail time, but he will get probation. And he still, the, the agreement still has to be approved by the judge, Kevin. Things happened a few years ago. This is pales uh, in comparison to some of the allegations that Hunter Biden faces, and we'll see how this affects President Biden's attempt at securing the White House for another four years. Arlene, if you're still with us, do we have any more information on the gun charge and the deal that was reached there? Yes, Kevin. So for the gun charge, he was federally charged with possession of a firearm while he was under the influence of drugs. As you know, he had a, a drug problem after his brother Bo reportedly, uh, after reportedly his brother Bo uh, died. He he, he started to have problems with drug abuse. Uh, this happened in October 2018. He was in possession of the gun for 11 days, uh, and he uh, was considered to be an unlawful user. Now, this charge carries a fine of up to 10 years in prison or a fine or both. Uh, they are calling this agreement that he's made about this gun charge a pretrial diversion agreement, which will take the place of a lengthy trial that could have caused uh, uh, weeks of distracting headlines for the White House. Uh, so far, a judge has not approved it. The DOJ is asking for a hearing so that these agreements can be discussed with a judge uh, and, and to get approval. Kevin. Yes, guns and drugs do not mix. Arlene, thank you so much for that update. And Arlene will also keep us updated as the story continues to develop. And meanwhile, in former President Trump's legal troubles, a judge sets the date for the documents case. It will launch Trump's two-week trial. He's pleaded not guilty to the charges. The trial is set to start August 14th in Fort Pierce, Florida. That's after all parties first meet on August 8th. The president faces 31 counts of Espionage Act violations. He was also charged with six additional counts on various related charges. Trump called the case a sham during a speech in New Jersey. The judge noted that the trial date could change because of complexities or issues with classified information. A different judge ordered Trump's legal team not to release evidence in the case to the public before the trial begins. 
Former special counsel John Durham will be on Capitol Hill this week to testify before lawmakers. This in the wake of a report released a few weeks ago that concluded the Justice Department and FBI should not have launched the Trump-Russia investigation. The testimony will give lawmakers a chance to question Durham. This report bolstered Republican arguments that federal government officials abused the public trust. This by rushing to investigate former President Trump. Durham's report says the FBI and the Justice Department failed to uphold their mission of strict fidelity to the law by launching the probe and that there was heavy reliance on leads provided or funded by Trump's political opponents. In other news, rescuers are still searching for a submarine that went missing with five people aboard. The sub belongs to a company that gives tours of the Titanic wreck. The sub has a four-day oxygen supply and it's now day three. The Northeast U.S. Coast Guard is helping with the search. The location is 900 miles off of Cape Cod, Massachusetts. The Coast Guard says 10,000 square miles have already been searched. Among the high-profile guests who could be aboard the sub are one of Pakistan's richest men and his son, a U.K. billionaire and a seasoned French marine explorer. Ocean Gate Expeditions lost contact with its submarine about an hour and 45 minutes after launch on Sunday morning. The Coast Guard will give the latest update on the search at 1 p.m. this afternoon. NTD will live stream the press conference. Don't forget to tune in. YouTube is in the news for censoring a presidential candidate. NTD's Daniel Monahan has the details of how an interview between Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and podcast host Jordan Peterson fell victim to the censorship acts. Kennedy wrote on Twitter, What do you think? Should social media platforms censor presidential candidates? My conversation with Peterson was deleted by YouTube. Peterson also chimed in, saying, Now YouTube has taken upon itself to actively interfere with a presidential election campaign. YouTube says it removed the video for violating its general vaccine misinformation policy. It says it removes so-called false claims about currently administered vaccines that are approved and confirmed to be safe and effective by local health authorities and the WHO. Kennedy told Peterson that there's never been a time in history when the people censoring stuff were the good guys. When you start censoring people, then you, uh, you're, you're on the slippery slope of totalitarianism. Peterson expressed surprise at the close relationship he perceives between the political left and the pharmaceutical industry. 20 years ago, if you would have said that in 2020, the leftist types and the liberals, including the Democrats, would be colluding with big pharma, people would have thought you were completely out of your mind. There's more pharmaceutical lobbyists on Capitol Hill than there are congressmen, senators, and Supreme Court justices combined. The pair also weighed in on cross-sex procedures. Norway and Finland and Sweden and Holland and the UK have now banned gender transition surgery for minors, and yet it's still being promoted assiduously, for example, in California by Gavin Newsom. Kennedy expressed that he believes a lot of the mental health problems of the nation's youth, especially boys, can be attributed to chemical exposure. Including a lot of the sexual dysphoria that we're seeing, that, you know, that these kids are being overwhelmed by a tsunami. I mean, they're swimming through a soup of toxic chemicals today. Kennedy says many of those are endocrine disruptors and that atrazine is significantly present in the water supply. Kennedy said that if you put atrazine in a tank full of frogs, it would chemically castrate and forcefully feminize every frog in there. 
Kennedy claimed that 10% of male frogs would turn into fully viable females able to produce viable eggs. The presidential candidate concluded that he believes there's evidence the same thing is happening to humans. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. And in Australia, health authorities have quietly removed Moderna's pediatric COVID vaccine for children five years and under. Both options that Moderna had offered are no longer available in the country. The group advising the health minister no longer recommends COVID vaccines for children under five unless they have specific medical conditions that put them at high risk of severe COVID infection. The Australian Technical Advisory Group on Immunization now says this age group is one of the least likely to require hospitalization due to COVID. The group also points to a clinical trial of 5,500 children in that age range that shows Moderna's vaccine provided only modest protection against infection, while safety data reported patterns of vaccine-related adverse events. Artificial intelligence taking over major editorial roles in Germany's largest newspapers. Meanwhile, AI can reportedly identify people's political views based on their looks. Here's an update with the latest on AI. Artificial intelligence will take over editorial roles at Germany's largest newspaper called Bild. That's part of an overhaul to make the brand digital only. On Monday, the German publishing company that owns Bild told staff that hundreds of redundancies would be underway. The company said it would part ways with colleagues whose jobs will be replaced by AI and or automated processes in the digital world or who do not find themselves in this new lineup with their current skills. In March, Build CEO told employees that artificial intelligence has the potential to make independent journalism better than it ever was or simply replace it. The German Journalist Association responded to the changes, saying that's not only unfair to the employees, but also economically extremely stupid. Less regional reporting means less service for the readers and therefore fewer readers. Meanwhile, a study from Denmark found that AI can predict a person's political views based on the way they smile in pictures. The study reads, deep learning techniques can use public data such as facial photographs to predict sensitive personal information, but little is known about what information contributes to the predictive success of these techniques. It found that right-wing politicians were more likely to have happy facial expressions in photos and that politicians on the right have been found to be more attractive than those on the left. However, it added that future work is needed to explore the extent to which happy faces are indicative of conservatism outside of samples of politicians. Neutral facial expressions were reportedly more likely to identify as left-wing. And on the topic of AI, President Biden today is discussing it with activists, academics, and tech executives. The focus is on race and algorithmic discrimination. A White House official said the experts are known for being, quote, outspoken on the impact of AI on jobs, children, bias and prejudice, and the risks posed by AI if it isn't properly regulated. The summit is in San Francisco. Many of the participants donated large sums to either Biden's campaign or the Democratic Party. Several weeks ago, Vice President Kamala Harris met with top tech CEOs to talk about responsible AI. And months ago, Biden issued an executive order saying the government should use AI systems in a manner that advances equity. Coming up after the break, Texas Governor Greg Abbott plays a legal card to rein in what he calls rogue prosecutors. AT&T is closing its flagship San Francisco store. Many other businesses are leaving the same area. We'll have more on that in just a moment for you.
Good to have you back with us. We have some natural disaster news. Health authorities said at least one person is dead and over two dozen people are injured after a tornado hit central Mississippi Sunday night. The tornado struck a town about 70 miles east of Jackson. That's what the National Weather Service said. At least five other tornadoes hit Mississippi on Sunday. Authorities said most of the injured are in stable condition or had been discharged from the hospital. Emergency workers are still searching the area as downed power lines make vehicle access impossible. Outage tracking website poweroutage.us showed about 400,000 customers across the south were without power on Monday morning, including about 45,000 in Mississippi. Texas Governor Greg Abbott says he's not messing around with what he calls rogue prosecutors and that he signed a bill to rein them in. This lets courts remove district attorneys for misconduct if they refuse to pursue certain types of crimes. Abbott wrote on social media, quote, Those who want to work in Texas law enforcement must uphold the laws and protect Texans. The measure goes into effect on September 1st. Some Democrats and civil rights groups oppose the measure. They argue it undermines the separation of powers. They also add that prosecutors should be able to decide which cases to prosecute and which not. The International Monetary Fund is working on a platform for central bank digital currencies. The managing director argues that the digital currencies shouldn't be fragmented by nation. What are the concerns with the IMF pushing for digital currency? NTD Business's Don Ma speaks to an expert in this field. And here with me is Thomas Hogan, senior research faculty at the American Institute for Economic Research. So the International Monetary Fund uh, wants a platform for central bank digital currencies. Now, before we get into the pros and cons, I just want you to explain to me, what, is it, what does it mean exactly to have a, a global CBDC platform? Yeah, that's right. It's a good question because I think this has been uh, kind of misreported in some of the articles that I've seen online because of the uh, lack of clarity about what we mean by platform. So sometimes when we talk about central bank digital currency, we mean the the platform is the currency itself. Like, for example, if the U.S. were to introduce a CBDC, we might call that the platform. Or in Europe, if they're doing one, maybe that CBDC is the platform. Um, But that's not really what we mean here. We mean a a place where people could trade different currencies, different CBDCs. So for example, I I think we can make a distinction. If I'm an American traveling in Europe and there are some stores that maybe accept US dollars, maybe I go into a store and I say, um, hey, do you accept dollars or euros? Um, That's a question of the currency itself, not a question of the platform. If they say they accept only euros, then I have to say, okay, well, do you take a Visa card, you know, or can I transfer from my my debit card where my bank is going to switch from dollars into euros? Or do I personally need to go to a bank and trade physical dollars for physical euros? You know, that question of how to get from one currency into the other is really what they're talking about for the platform here. The IMF itself is not going to launch a central bank digital currency, just help coordinate trade of different Different types of currencies. So what concerns comes with this, if there is any? Yeah, so I, I, I am not uh, concerned about the platform itself. Like I said, I, I don't think the IMF is really going to have a lot of control over that. Um, and so it, they probably 
um, you know, won't have much influence other than promoting CBDCs. Um, and that's really the thing that I'm a little bit more concerned about is that, you know, the IMF is, is trying to encourage countries to use CBDCs uh, in the United States or a bigger country. We, we might not worry about the government misusing that. I mean, we should worry a little bit in the United States, but much more of a concern in China where the, the government is using it to monitor all of their citizens. And so for a lot of the countries that are trying to get better capabilities, the IMF is going to potentially be equipping them with ways to monitor their citizens and control their citizens. And so I'm, I'm a little bit worried about that. So you said in the U.S. we should still be a little bit worried about CBDC. Can you expand on that? Yeah, so the United States uh, is considering doing some kind of central bank digital currency. We haven't really committed to anything. The, the U.S. Federal Reserve, the central bank of the United States, is studying how they might implement a central bank digital currency. But so far, they, um, they are not planning to do one that would be uh, directly offered to U.S. citizens. And so that's a really important distinction that almost all of the countries, the plan is to have individual citizens use it just like they use regular currency. But in the United States, the Federal Reserve has said they actually don't think that they have the ability legally to do that. Um, all they could legally do right now, as far as they're currently saying, is offer it to banks, which would then offer um, some kind of digital currency to the citizens, which is essentially what they do now. You know, the Fed already has a digital system for, for coordinating bank payments and having banks deposit money at the Fed, making payments with the Fed. And so having a central bank digital currency that's only offered to the banking system really wouldn't be much different than we have now. Um, but there is some possibility that they might change their policy or that Congress might authorize them to offer a central bank digital currency directly to the public. And if that happens, then that'll be a lot different. And I think we'll need to worry about it a little bit more. All right. Thank you so much. Pleasure speaking to you today. Yeah, thanks. Glad to be on. AT&T is closing its flagship San Francisco store. The shop is located in San Francisco's downtown Union Square district. It's just the latest business to announce leaving the area. The store is set to close in August. Workers at the location will be offered jobs at stores in other areas of the city. Two other AT&T stores are just a short distance from the flagship. Other businesses that have closed in the district cite local business conditions and high crime and drug use in the area. As AT&T put it, Consumer shopping habits continue to change, and we're changing with them. A new survey found that a growing number of workers in America and around the world are planning to quit in search of better-paid jobs amid the cost-of-living crisis. According to the latest Price Waterhouse Coopers workforce study, the great resignation seems poised to continue. The survey showed that just over a quarter of workers plan to change employers in the next 12 months in hopes of finding better paid work, up from 19% last year. Over 40% say they are planning to demand pay raises to offset the higher cost of living, up from 35% last year. The survey, which polled 54,000 workers in 46 countries, showed that a growing number of households struggle to pay bills every month. The percentage of workers who say they can pay all their bills every month and still have some money left over fell sharply from nearly 50% to less than 40%. A 1,400-mile carbon capture pipeline is in the works. It's going to cross five Midwestern states. A company based in Iowa is making the plans. The project will transport carbon from refineries of ethanol and biofuel so it can be buried in North Dakota. It's being done with the goal of reducing the region's carbon footprint and protecting the environment. But there are concerns about the project. All the while, the company is pursuing legal means to take property. 
Earlier I spoke with a farmer who's been impacted. Joining me now is Jared Bosley, fourth generation South Dakota farmer. Jared, it's so great to hear your story. Yeah, thanks for having me, appreciate it. Please tell us how this project is affecting you in terms of your children's future and your property rights. Well, where they wanna go with this pipeline is north of my, north of the homestead here where the cows and the barns and all that stuff are where we winter our cows. And any expansion this next generation wants to do is more cows, our only way to go is to the north because of a crick and property line, stuff like that. So we got trees planted out there, set up for new lots, and we've been planting trees this year, last year, 10 years ago, 50, I mean, we got a lot, a lot of work done out there and they want to run right through that. And just this whole pipeline thing, they want to run diagonal across people's quarters and all through like diagonal across stuff, not follow a road, not follow a property line, anything like that, which just is just a land grab to, if you go through the middle of a quarter like that, you kind of control what happens on the whole quarter then. It's not just their easement that they do. So we're, it's uh, and there's no science behind this pipeline that's not gonna help any CO2 things, which that, is not a problem anyway. It's, it's, they're trying to, the land grab, they're trying to bury plant food and why that is a good idea is beyond me. Our plants need carbon dioxide. And Jared, those tree lines certainly take a long time to grow. I do want to point out one thing. There also is the potential for risks with these kind of projects. According to the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, 7 to 10% CO2 concentration can be released into the air in the case of a leak, and that can create an immediate threat to human life. Jared, I want to hear more about your exchange with the surveyor. Can you tell us about this? Yeah. Uh, a while ago, I left to go plant, and these surveyors showed up here at the farm. I was gone 10 miles away. The wife was home. They came here. They peeked their head in the house, yelled in at her, yelled hello. They didn't know she was home. She was in the shower and pretty soon heard someone yell hello in the door of the house. She, you know, was like, well, that seems odd. Nobody usually sticks her head in and yells. She sent me a text wondering if I had anybody stopping or parts or something like that coming. I said, nothing like that. She called me. And as she was walking across the road, and when I picked up, I heard summit surveyors. I said, if it's summit survey, and then the sheriff should be involved. And I hung up. I was coming to a water hole. I hung up, thought it was all over. Uh, find out later that they left and they, they went to the police and said that I threatened to kill them. And they made up a whole bunch of stuff. So I got had to go to court then for contempt of court because the judge had an order for him to survey. Well, if they had the order to survey, why are they in my house and why are they looking for me? They already can just go. They're just, they were trying to target me to quiet me up and I guess it, they just, they lied. I don't know, they should be getting charged with perjury because they lied on the affidavits. I mean, I got phone records, we got evidence that I wasn't here. I didn't say any of the things that I said and just nothing seems to be going on there. Well, Jared, certainly seems like you have been through a lot in this ordeal. Jared Bosley, fourth generation South Dakota farmer, is great having you on the show today. Thank you much. I appreciate the help. Me and the Pipeline family, everybody fighting this, needs to get the word out there. 
Just ahead, China's number two visits Germany in an effort by Beijing to reach out to the West and improve frosty relations. A new connection exposed. China is making a leap in quantum technology, and a top German university might be the key enabler. We'll have the details in this latest investigation when we return. Good to have you back with us. We're continuing with some international news. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz met Chinese Premier Li Qiang in Berlin today. Trade, climate change, and the war in Ukraine are on the agenda in the first face-to-face summit in nearly five years. Protesters highlighted human rights abuses in China outside the chancellery where the meeting took place. My parents are Falun Gong practitioners. They were illegally imprisoned in China on May the 12th only because of their belief in Falun Gong a Chinese meditation practice with an ancient Buddhist philosophy based on the principles of truthfulness, compassion and tolerance. The persecution is not based on any laws. Everything happens illegally. Germany is keen to maintain good ties with China, its biggest trading partner, despite concern over Beijing's growing assertiveness and refusal to criticize Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Schultz says he wants to avoid over-reliance on Chinese trade. It's an approach he calls de-risking, while rejecting the idea of decoupling from China. This is Li's first foreign trip since taking office. However, it comes as the European Union seeks to reduce its dependence on China, and Germany itself is expected to toughen its stance on its top trade partner. It's also reviewing the use of telecom equipment made by Chinese company Huawei in its digital infrastructure. For the first time ever, a law in the U.S. is countering the Chinese regime's criminal practice of forcibly harvesting organs from living people. That law was just signed in Texas on Sunday. It goes into effect on September 1st. Let's learn more about the specifics and the impact from an expert. I'm joined now by Cynthia Sun, researcher at the Falandafa Information Center. Cynthia, it is so great to have you with us today. Honor to be here. How significant is this measure to bar insurance companies from funding organ transplants from countries like China or others that are involved in this forced organ harvesting? It's extremely significant. As you know, Texas, who started SB 1040, is the largest medical complex in the world. So I believe that this will start, this will be the first step towards other medical centers around the United States also implementing this sort of measure, which is to bar health benefit plans from specifically covering organ transplants in China. So any patients in Texas effective September 1st, this year, 2023, won't be able to go to China, get an organ transplant and have American tax dollars pay for that transplant. That's unethically sourced. So I think This is honestly the catalyst that will bring about a bunch of change. And in my opinion, Boston Medical Center might be next, Um, Pennsylvania, California. I feel like a lot of other medical center like in the United States will see what Texas is doing and actually be inspired to make that first step towards changing their plans and, you know, make sure that organ tourism, especially something so horrid as organ harvesting, won't be able to happen again. 
certainly seems like a national breakthrough could be happening in light of what Texas is doing. And of course, as we know, under the CCP, this brutal practice of forcibly harvesting organs from living individuals for money has flourished into a very profitable industry. So it's good that something is being done to counteract it. The author, State Senator Cole Korst, she, she met with the Falun Gong practitioners a few years ago, and she was just horrified when she found out that they were showing her that there were these websites of Chinese hospitals advertising to the world that they had live donors standing by. What can you tell us about China's organ transplant business in terms of the wait times, the sheer number, and even the cultural viewpoints for the Chinese on donating organs? Yeah, actually, it's quite a strange phenomenon because let's start with the cultural viewpoints first. In China, there is no historical or cultural um, background for organ donation. So basically, you're meant to bury the deceased as a whole body with all of the organs intact because they believe that the whole body will go to the afterlife in that state. So organ donor, the whole system in China has been like very, very minimal, um, little to no citizens have signed up for it. And in the past 20 or so years, it's actually boomed to where there's so many organ donors from some source, now that we know it's prisoners of conscience, right? Follow-up practitioners, Uyghurs, and other prisoners of conscience. But this sudden boom has made it that there's virtually no wait times as well. You can call ahead of time and schedule for someone's death, essentially. And that's what's so horrific about it, because nowhere else in the world, unless you're going through the black market, or you're getting organs through illegal means, there's nowhere else in the world where you can, you know, walk into a hospital or call up a transplant center and say, hey, I want it in two weeks. It's not a dentist appointment. This is something that's someone has to be brain dead and you have to know exactly what second and what minute they're going to be brain dead for you to fly in or you know get onto the surgeon table to be able to do this transfer because it's a very intricate process and so when you have all of these pieces line up together it's it's really terrifying what type of Im image that brings and you were saying that it's a very profitable profitable business and it's estimated the un i think put out a report that said at least one billion dollars per year is is the profit for the chinese communist party Yes, absolutely. It's just horrible what's happening to these prisoners of conscience. And as you know, Representative Chris Smith, in his work on the Stop Force Organ Harvesting Act, he said that the CCP kills between 60,000 and 100,000 of them for their organs every year. Mm -hmm. Cynthia Sun, researcher at the Falun Dafa Information Center, it is so great having your analysis today. Thank you so much. China is getting a lead in quantum tech by tapping into Western research institutes. That's with the aim to boost its military projection, something experts say may further erode human rights. A recent probe sheds light on years of partnership between Beijing and a top German university. Let's dive in. For two decades, Germany's oldest university, Heidelberg, has been the cradle of quantum research in China. That's according to an investigation by German newspaper Deutsche Welle and nonprofit news agency Corrective. Central to the probe is Pan Jianwei, a man now known as the father of quantum in China. Pan is a student of Nobel Prize winning physicist Anton Zellinger and a co-founder of Quantum SeaTech. The startup was added to Washington's sanction list in 2021, allegedly for trying to obtain U.S. know-how to back the Chinese Communist Party's military. 
In 2003, Pond joined Heidelberg University to set up his own lab and research team while retaining close contact with his alma mater, the University of Science and Technology of China, or USTC. During his stay in Heidelberg, Pond received funding from Europe, totaling about $4 million. In 2008, he brought his lab and research back to USTC, leading to groundbreaking advances in China's quantum communications. Those include the launch of the world's first quantum satellite into space. Quantum communication, widely used in cell phones and navigation devices, also has great military potential, as in espionage and surveillance. A 2019 report by U.S. security firm Strider revealed USTC and Pond's broad ties to China's defense sector. The report described Heidelberg University as arguably the most important foreign partner behind China's rapid progress in dual-use quantum technologies. Beyond that, Pond's company Quantum SeaTech maintains a presence in China's northwestern Xinjiang province. Police files leaked last year reveal photos of thousands of Uyghurs detained in the region. Experts fear quantum SeaTech could further tighten the regime's grip on Xinjiang, making future leaks less likely. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And still to come, police in France searching the headquarters of the Paris 2024 Olympics organizing committee amid a corruption investigation. Finland swearing in a new coalition government that is seen as the most right-wing in the Nordic country's modern history. Stay tuned for that story in just a moment. Welcome back. We're taking you to Europe. French police today searched the headquarters of the Paris 2024 Olympics Organizing Committee in relation to alleged embezzlement of public funds and favoritism. French authorities said the raid was part of an investigation into how contracts for construction, sponsorship and team services were handed out. The total budget of the Games has soared to nearly $10 billion from an initial assessment of $7 billion in 2017. The infrastructure alone is expected to cost nearly $900 million, more than the initial estimate. Paris 2024 said they are fully cooperating with the authorities in the investigation. Finland's newly elected parliament today voted in favor of Petteri Orpo to become prime minister. Orpo talked about his two most important tasks ahead. The most important is, is to fix Finnish economy, boost economic growth and, and stabilize our public finance. Uh, also, maybe the second point is to build up the native Finland. A self-styled fiscal conservative, Orpo campaigned on a promise to reduce the government's budget deficit by cutting spending while also reducing taxes and seeking to boost private sector job creation. His right-wing coalition government is ending Social Democrat Sana Marin's rule the two senior coalition partners are Orpo's Conservative National Coalition Party and the populist Finns Party. Political analysts say the new cabinet is Finland's most right-wing government since World War II. The new coalition shifts immigration policy to the right, aiming to cut refugee quotas, raise the bar for work-based visas, and make it more difficult for foreigners to obtain citizenship. 
Britain's parliament last night endorsed a report that concluded that Boris Johnson deliberately lied over rule-breaking parties during lockdown. It's another blow to the political career of the former prime minister. Just seven lawmakers voted against the damning report in a defeat for Johnson less than a year after he left Downing Street. Over 350 endorsed sanctions, including banning him from having a pass to access Parliament. Lawmakers debated the report's findings for five hours ahead of the vote, with most politicians speaking out against him. Johnson also received criticism from within his own party, including from former Prime Minister Theresa May. The majority of Conservative Party lawmakers opted to stay away from the vote, including Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and many members of his cabinet. Tourists to Rome can now stroll for the first time close to the spot where Julius Caesar was assassinated thanks to a brand new walkway. The Largo Argentina Square is where the Roman dictator was fatally stabbed by a rival group of senators in 44 B.C., It stands in the middle of one of Rome's busiest crossroads. Previously, the site and four temples, which date back as far as the 3rd century B.C., could only be viewed from behind barriers. Visitors can now move through the square at ground level. Previously, only stray cats could get close to the archaeological site. An Indian airline signed a deal for the largest ever aircraft order in history. The order will help serve the travel needs of India's booming economy and rising population. French aerospace firm Airbus announced the order of 500 commercial jets. Discount Indian airline Indigo is expected to receive the jets between 2030 and 2035. Airbus says the deal sets the record for the biggest single purchase agreement in the history of commercial aviation. Indigo's website says it's the largest airline in India by market share, flying 86 million customers in the last financial year. It was founded in 2006. About 75% of Indigo's flights travel to domestic destinations in India. Just ahead, a meat lover's dream come true as Argentine cooks compete for the title of top grill master in the nation's capital. Four baby vampire deer are moving to a new home in London. Their visitors will be able to see the vulnerable species. We'll be back with more soon right here on NTD News. Welcome back. In entertainment news, the latest Mission Impossible movie, Dead Reckoning Part 1, had its world premiere in Rome yesterday. The stars met eager fans at an iconic location in the movie. Entity's Andrew Thomas has the mission, should he choose to accept it. Our lives. The seventh installment of the popular Mission Impossible franchise was partly filmed in Rome. A wild car chase was filmed at the Spanish Steps. The pursuit involves a scene with Haley Atwell and Tom Cruise handcuffed together while driving a tiny vintage Fiat 500. 56-year-old Cruise famously does many of his own stunts. You know, this movie, it is an epic adventure. It's bigger than all the films. It has vivid characterizations. It has glorious, luxurious locations. Yeah, and practical action. So, I mean, what an amazing friend and mentor to me, so professional. Both him and Chris McQuarrie took such great care of me to make sure that I felt that I had autonomy as an actor and also as a character in this franchise. They're true gentlemen. The new movie sees Cruz's character, Ethan Hunt, reunite with his fellow agents. 
The characters played by Simon Pegg, Ving Rhames, and Rebecca Ferguson help the protagonist destroy an international terror cell and avert a nuclear catastrophe. It's great, you know, it's, it, it was hard at times and it did feel like a Mission Impossible, but we all pulled together and, and we made a movie, you know, and it, we showed that you can actually make a movie in that situation. You know, you have to be careful, you have to be uh, thoughtful, you have to look after each other, but you get it done. The film will also premiere in London on June 22nd. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. We're turning now to outer space. Check out this eerie image of Jupiter captured by a NASA spacecraft. If you look closely, you'll notice a ghostly green light coming from an area near the planet's North Pole. Scientists believe it's a lightning strike photographed inside of Jupiter's swirling vortex. The largest planet in our solar system is known for its massive storms. Unlike on Earth, where lightning comes from water clouds, Jupiter strikes come from clouds that are a mixture of ammonia and water. Another big difference, the gas giant sees lightning hitting most frequently near the planet's poles, while most of the lightning bolts on Earth occur near the equator. Cooks across Argentina fired up their grills yesterday to battle for the title of the country's top grill master. The Federal Grillmaster Championship is now in its fifth year. It was held in the capital city of Buenos Aires. All 24 participants were given the same cuts of meat like beef, fish, and lamb, as well as vegetables. Their goal was to grill the best traditional Argentine roast known as asado. The asado in Argentina means reunion, family, friends, and it's enjoying the moment beyond the chosen cut. I think it is our folklore along with soccer. They go hand in hand. Argentina is known for its unique culture of asado and for boasting some of the best beef in the world. This cultural contest also featured food vendors, musical shows, and other activities all open to the public. And a soccer fan nailed a halftime challenge with a perfect kick. This was during a major league soccer game when the San Jose Earthquakes tied the Portugal Timbers nil to nil. Three contestants lined up on the edge of the box, trying to land the ball close to the center of the half-court line. And the final attempt shocked the stadium. The ball rolled right onto the center dot. In the video, observers are heard squealing with excitement. Efforts are underway to protect a vulnerable species of Chinese water deer. Four young fawns will move to the London Zoo in July. The species is known as the vampire deer because of their sharp fangs. The baby deer weighed as little as a can of soft drink when they were born. They are now in the UK's largest conservation zoo. Once they settle in London Zoo, visitors will be able to see them. Populations of water deer are dwindling from habitat loss and hunting. The animals are listed as vulnerable by the International Union for Conservation of Nature. A strange raptor family in Northern California. A pair of bald eagles appeared to have adopted a hawk. The baby red-tailed hawk was spotted in the eagle's nest in the Bay Area last month. A photographer captured the incredible moment that the eagle brought the hawklet into its nest, likely as prey. Then, another wildlife photographer began making weekly trips to the nest, capturing how the bald eagles appeared to be feeding and caring for the hawklet along with their own eaglet. The eaglet has been named Lola, and the hawklet is being called Tuffy Two. The nest's location has not been disclosed for the bird's safety. 
And today is National American Eagle Day. The bald eagle is both the national bird and the national animal in the United States. Although viewed as a symbol of freedom, the bald eagle was once on the brink of extinction. But in 2007, the species was removed from the list of endangered and threatened wildlife. To celebrate the bird of the USA, the visit bird of the USA visit the American Eagle Foundation online to learn more about conservation efforts. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at NTD.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.